The Sour Hour is meant for the serious brewer. The Sour Hour may contain some seriously funkified content. The Sour Hour is not for the faint of heart. So exercise some damn discretion, would you please? Sheesh. And now, here's the Sour Hour with Jay Goodwin. Alright, it's that time again. We're back on the Sour Hour Brewing Network. I'm your host, Jacob Lynn. Here with Scott. How's it going, Scott? It's going, I would be going better if I could get Skype to work. We've got some internet, phone, just a bunch of media issues. But hey, we're media folk. We're in the biz. Right. And You know who has media issues? Who's that? The media. The media, yeah. and that's us. Yeah. We're, I'm, I'm actually part of the media conspiracy. Yeah. Yeah, you know, you like how the uh, program director pulled us into the office and insisted we have a, a political bend to everything we say? Because mm-hmm. we have to. That's what the media does. No one realizes our political views because we're that subtle and professional about it. Right. So. I, I'm pretty sure I, I, don't think I, <laughs> I think I fail at that one. But Yeah, based on the off-air conversations, I would agree. <laughs> <laughs> at least they're off the air, though. But we're back on the Sour Politics Hour. Speaking of that, by the way, I think it might be the politics of China that are keeping the uh, the Skype. It's the Internet the man down. Yeah. Well, hey, you know, all credit to James for powering through. And, you know, he's on vacation. It's tomorrow morning where he is. He's, you know, going to the Great Wall of China with his dad. And he's kind enough to... Take some time out of the schedule to be with us. So, do we do we have him back at this point, he, or are we working he keeps, on? Keeps well. He, he's on, and then he's off, and then it drops. And he, he actually said uh, that he he said it's fast internet at the hotel here. He typed to me, but I have a, a feeling there is some great firewall meddling. Yeah, so we'll, yeah, it's no joke over there. You know, we'll we'll effort it for this segment, and then uh, and then we'll 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 go into some some Q and A probably. But uh, welcome back. Uh, we're also here with Bevo, who's uh, I feel like maybe manipulating. She's she's downloading some illegal movie, and that's why we're Is having that problems. Right? It, uh, it, ironically, the interview. I'm actually watching. <laughs> um, I'm streaming a movie right now I on knew it. Amazon. Should should I be paying attention to you? I nah. knew it. I knew it. Unless is it a, mo- is it well, a movie? Yeah, about, what movie? Yeah. Is it Office Space? Yeah. I was trying to think of something really terrible. <laughs> I don't know. I got nothing. Finding Nemo. Some that's kids, a great kids movie. movie. That is a great movie. Bad example. Whatever that movie. I'm watching Pride and Prejudice. Drew Barrymore is. <laughs> You know, just that build. one, that one I movie, that movie, Charlie's Angels. Just drop it in a post, and you can pick any movie you want. Okay, work. got it. <laughs> we might have James. James, you there? James, wait, it's going to take ten seconds. Oh yeah, I yes, well, yes, now, I think so. Okay, well, quickly, while the authorities are letting you speak, say something brilliant about sour beer. <laughs> <laughs> no pressure. Forget it. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. So, what we, James, while we have you and we have a good connection. I want to actually get to the second beer you sent us. Uh, by the way, this is James Howitt from uh, former Future Brewing Company and Black Project Spontaneous and Wild Ales, joining us from China. His brewery is in uh, Denver, though. Uh, thanks for joining us. We've got your Mock Limit Tempranillo open now. Uh, tell us a little bit about this beer. So the Mock Limit series is all the legal limit of fruiting and beer. So it's all 49% fermentable from fruit. Um, this one was done with Red Fox wineries in western Colorado. Um, they were able to process and press the Tempranillo grapes for us where they grew them there and then bring them over, and it's uh, 49% fermentable from Tempranillo. And then the rest of it is essentially a blend of our golden uh, sour beers with it and then open fermented in a sherry cask uh, for a couple weeks before bottling. It's a beautiful beer. I'm actually, you know, I, I did read up on the beers we'd be opening during the show. And to be honest, I, I, you know, I knew I love the concept that you're, you know, really pushing the limits of fruit additions and sour beer. And when I knew we, we had one of these, I was really looking forward to it. And uh, we opened it up, poured it out and uh, had it. And I was I, I was actually struck by how balanced it was. I was looking, you know, you say 49 percent fermentable from something other than beer you know i was waiting for it to hit me over the head but it's very drinkable it's it's a beautiful beer you've made here how did you do that thanks um i mean i think part of it is just a grape it tends to be kind of a funky earthy grape anyway and so 
Yeah, I think it works pretty well, and it ends up being pretty balanced because a lot of the aromas and flavors from the grape end up meshing pretty well with the beer. I think that's part of it. And I think grape in general is just kind of a, a little bit more subtle than something like, say, cherries um, or raspberries or something like that. Nice. And uh, while, while we still have you, we're getting the, the good connection. There's a Just so you know, on our end, there's a little bit of a delay. Uh, so... If we if we chime in briefly, just we can power through and keep going. Uh, Podcast can, listeners, you, you'll be none the wiser. I'll yeah. clean it up later. Yeah, we're fine. But uh, just just uh, keep going. We want to we want to hear your voice, yeah. not ours. So whenever we're talking, uh, you you just keep talking over us. It's no problem. But uh, I want to get to a, a few of my favorite questions. Um, I want to know, you know, over the years you've been open, how your process has changed. It can it can be in any area. It could be recipe formulation or a hot side profile with mashing or hops that you use the cool ship rundown you know the the way you're kegging or the fermentation temperature whatever strikes you about what's what's been the big things you've changed and the flavor improvements you've seen as a result of those changes yeah i mean i think a big thing that we changed is initially when we started doing black project stuff we were doing uh a bunch of kind of like one-offs um so we we're doing vastly different recipes and just sort of one at a time designing a beer uh cool shipping it and then fermenting it out and releasing it when it was ready um over the past year and a half or so we've switched to knowing some of the things that we liked best from those experiments and now we are uh we have essentially three base solera beers uh three to four base solera beers and then this year on the spontaneous beers, I'm doing only two bases, um, and the majority of which will be one base. And we've been experimenting with uh, aged hop rates and not aged hops and no hops at all and pH adjustment. So I've been doing a lot of experiments this year with just one essentially base grist that I've been tweaking you know, for, for each recipe versus um, when we started just doing a bunch of one-offs. Um, the one-offs were fun, but it became difficult to repeat them necessarily. So we'll still do some of those, but um, as we look to increase our production volume, I think it's been important to understand what was working and why and start to do those things more consistently. So it seems like one thing that you've done, I know it's been a, a short period of time, but one thing you've done, uh, the takeaway I just got from that was you've tried to almost narrow your focus on on the base beer side a little bit and then kind of see what that develops into and build off of what the what the result is is that a, a fair characterization yeah so we got these solera vessels and decided i need to make three to four bases and use those to blend with use those for fruit additions and so i took what was working best from all those one-offs and put those in the Solera vessels, and then I can kind of shift the recipes and guide those vessels as they develop over time. Um, but I had to have something to go with, um, so I just picked our best examples, basically. Gotcha. And uh, when you're making these beers and maybe rewinding back to the very beginning of Black Project, what are the, what are the common off-flavors you're encountering, and how, how do you troubleshoot those? Um, I mean... The one thing we get is initially for the first few months, uh, first two months or so, um, the beer is not really sour. Speaking of spontaneous ales now, uh, the beer isn't really sour. It isn't really, uh, uh, I think the connection just dropped out. Oh, you're good if you can hear us. Yeah. Well, I hope he doesn't say anything bad right now. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck China. <laughs> <laughs> All right, it looks like it dropped. All right, let's... Uh, How far are we into the segment? Nine minutes. Okay. Let's uh, maybe do some, some, yeah. some questions? Yeah, yeah. Let's, well, here, let's, let's do... see um, what happens with the, uh, the old Skype. Yeah, I'm going to tell them, uh, let's uh, give it a second. So here's an, another reason why... This uh, is behind-the-curtain stuff right here. Yeah. This is like, you know, uh, wasn't there's... Uh, what's News Radio? Is that a show? The old sitcom with Andy, Andy Dick? And, uh, i never heard of it. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's the behind the, the curtain. Yeah, yeah. That people love, you know, like behind the curtain, workplace, drama, yeah. slash rom-com, you know, 
stuff. Yeah. You know, who's going to get with who, what movie is Bevo streaming on her right. computer. Right, no, they do. They love All the drama, and we're, we're giving them it. You it's know, true. behind the curtain. You know, it's funny. Like, I, n- I, n- I never forget. Um, <laughs> I used to. <laughs> Bevo's forget look it. right there was just <laughs> so sad. Uh, some people know I, I used to work the board uh, back in my uh, early 20s for uh, Loveline. And uh, I'll never forget coming in one night to do it. And, you know, the national feed gives its little signals, like hey, the feed's about to start. Uh, and uh, the intro came on, and it does its whole thing. And it's like, you know, and now Loveline. And then it does the the uh, guitar. Uh, and then it's supposed to come in. Hey, it's Loveline. But nobody came in. It was just the guitar on a loop, on a loop, on a loop. And probably about three or four minutes went by. And now it's 10.04, <laughs> it's 10.05. And then the thing starts fading out. And then uh, Anderson, which was the engineer over there at Westwood One, came mm-hmm. on the mic, panicked, panicked. And I was like, I don't know what to say. Uh, neither Adam or Drew is here. Uh, so he just <laughs> he let the intro just completely play out. And then uh, he just sat there panicked. And then they just, like, threw it to – he played, some, like, the Dr. Drew boogie or something. He was just trying mm-hmm. to fill time. But the right. poor guy probably just f- five years off the end of his life. Like, he was so panicked. Wow. But – that's what you're saying. It's so it was so memorable. Like I remember that clearly, and I loved hearing that. Like it was so interesting to hear the sort of peek behind the curtain, even if it was a fuck up. Yeah, I, you know what we should do? We should have like in our back pocket some some go tos. Like not not just like you know, okay, oh you know we lost our guests. Let's go to a question from uh, one of the listeners. But you know, a clip or you know just just some segment that's very informative that we really like you know and then we'll just be that's see that's pro status yeah and then we in post another production term <laughs> we drop it in in post and then it's like you know you're talking over and it's like well we uh lost the connection there here's uh 30 minutes of very right. informative sour beer talk <laughs> and then it's just you know Vinny, john and uh right yeah Rob and Jason talking about spontaneous fermentation for 30 minutes. Well, and that that's the, the beauty of the pod, unlike the live radio. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we can go back and change it up around. Well, while we're waiting for the commies to get their internet drywall dropped, uh, let's um, it's a great do wall, a hot... I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on, Bevo. Uh, oh, where'd you go? <laughs> Jay, Jay held his hand up for a high five and looked around, and there's the glass is just nobody there. <laughs> That was my saddest moment, and Bevo has no idea. Now let's, she's getting back on there. Let's do a... Sorry, the bar is texting me and telling me to put things on tap back here. Oh. I made, like, the ultimate dad joke and turned around for uh, an air five. Oh, I left five. you hanging. Okay, here you go. I don't even know what it is, but I'm going to give you an air five. Boom. There, there it was. Goes. Uh, let's do a, a more hot beer, hot sour beer follow-up. Oh, Remember yeah, hot yeah, beer? yeah. So we got a, mm-hmm. a, a that's detailed... Our, that's our thing. We're the hot hour. <laughs> A detailed uh, breakdown from Jason Denman, who wrote in over Christmas and Mm -hmm. uh, said, Jay and Scott, several shows ago, someone emailed or called in about hot sour beer. And then, yeah, we even got a a follow-up, I believe, via email as well. He he said, I believe this was a subject neither of you are familiar with. That is true. My first experience with hot sour beer was with Leafman's Gull Creek, a Flanders brown with cherries that is good cold, but traditionally served mulled. What's mulled? Uh, You know, like uh, apple cider with spices, you know, they like... Put the spices in when it's warm. I yeah, think that's like mold. put it in the crock pot. Yeah, mold. Oh, okay. Mold apple cider. Alrighty. Dip, dipped in, steeped. You put it in a little saucepan or double boiler. Bring it to a gentle simmer. Kill the heat and pour it in mugs. I believe some, uh, in some cases, spices are chucked in. Uh, the sort of mulling spices you find in hot cider, like you guys just said. The other commercial example I'm aware of is uh, Kelkechosis from Unibrow. I don't know that beer. I know Unibrow. Yeah, I have not heard of that. Okay, I'm that'd be great uh, next to the Game of Thrones Kelka series. Shows. That would be good. I'm probably what is it? Kelka shows. Kelka shows. What is that? It means, Kelka shows means which what is what in what language? French. Oh, oh, oh my dad's in studio. He, he he took like <laughs> like uh, four classes worth of French in college. <laughs> Thinks he knows it. That means you're a genius. If you <laughs> yeah, I mean he picked it up well. Jason goes on and says, uh, any home brewer during sours uh, can try this out. I'm not an expert, but in my view, you're looking for a sour beer with some body and maybe a little less sweetness. Mm-hmm. Uh, it wouldn't work with a lean, ultra-tart Cantillon Creek or the like, but something uh, with malt character works. Inspired by my random memory of the episode where this came up, I'm bringing a mold sour beer to a Christmas party. Uh, I have two sours wow. on draft now. One's very dry, very sour with raspberries and sour cherries. The other's more of an American sour, a stronger double base fermented with Rosalaire and aged in various... 
uh, with various dark fruits and oak chips, inspired by a tasting of Cascade uh, at the Cascade Barrel House from some years ago. So I've chucked together a 40-60 tap blend, mold it with a little scrap of cinnamon stick and a tiny grating of fresh nutmeg. I imagine other spices could be tried. Mm-hmm. And anything a home brewer has made in the fru- fruited Flanders tradition would also work. I'm thinking I would allow uh, friends with a sweet tooth maybe to add to a, a dribble of honey. Good honey. Uh, drinking it now, he says, and it's delicious. Everybody should try these. See if they like it. The warmth changes the beer totally, uh, and the spices help accentuate some of the uh, whiny tannic qualities, at least with these base beers. Um, he said, thanks for the great radio. Merry Christmas and happy Hanukkah. Well, that's good info, and yeah, you guys yeah, should try update. it. great update. Thanks a lot for that update. I've actually got a, a message on my way in from uh, Dan Pixley, who you may remember from the Milk the Funk mm-hmm. episode. Uh he messaged me that he found a recent reference to hot beer in Norwegian. Nor- Norwegian. <laughs> I yeah. can't say that word for some reason. Norwegian farmhouse brewing on Lars Garshall's blog, if you missed it. Just one paragraph about the middle of the blog post. It's uh, no, and then if you search for it there, maybe you'll find it. But there's a link here. I didn't get a chance to read it on the way in, but just wanted to mention that. Shout out to Milt the Funk. And, uh, yeah. Nice. Hey, I guess. Uh, I think James might be back. James? Oh, he was there for a second. And then he just texted me a nope with a sad face. He spilled hot beer all over his computer. <laughs> that's, that's a rookie mistake, James. I'm sorry it. about that. But I'm not. I'm a little so so on us turning to the hot beer hour. You know, it's like this is not something that sounds, to be honest, all that good to me. And, but it's like the people who listen to our show, they are like into researching the history of beer and talking about how it, you know, they, they want to geek out about it. So it fits under this umbrella, but I'm not, I'm not too excited about hot beer. I'll try you, it are to you, be honest. Let's see. Hey James, I'm back. Yes. Look at that. James, have you ever had hot sour beer? That's the question you're going to waste. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I haven't just room temperature. Okay, well, there. I'm, now I'm done with my line of questioning. All right, great talking to you, James. Yeah. No, no, I'm just joking. <laughs> Thanks for being on the show. <laughs> so, uh, James, I'm really happy to see that you're back. You know, since we're having a little bit of trouble, and, you know, I, I should say first, you've been awesome. The beers are absolutely amazing. Really, really good. We're going to have you back when you get back to the States, uh, so, so don't worry about any of the problems we've been having. One thing I can't, maybe it's not my, it's usually my last question, but now I want it to be my next one. What do you think is the biggest mistake in sour beer making? To me, the biggest mistake in sour beer making is uh, mistaking what I would call common flaws for complexity uh, and common flaws for so-called funk. So I've had you know beers that are very sulfury or very uh, buttery or you know, vomity and people say, Oh, it's so complex. And I'm like, but doesn't it kind of smell like a diaper? And they're like, yeah, but it's so it tastes good though, even though it smells like poo. Um, and so I think, I think there's a lot of education to be done around off flavors and differentiating those off flavors in sour beers, because nobody would be okay with that flavor in an IPA or whatever. Although I'm also learning and obviously understand that Lactic acid isn't a thing that we want in our clean beers either. But to me, there's some things that I think we can all agree are not good flavors. And I think the public especially has a lot of understanding about what is and is not a, a technical flaw in sour beer. It's not a free-for-all, right? You can't. It's not just whatever it is, it's sour, it's in there, it's great. Uh, to me, that's not what we go for, certainly. <laughs> just because so. it's a wild ale doesn't mean it's the wild west, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yep. <laughs> You have that on the uh, on your license plate frame, don't you, Jay? <laughs> well, I think uh, James should have that. You know, he's got the he's got right there in the the brewery name, spontaneous and wild ales. Yep, yep. Do you f- consider yourself a spontaneous and wild person? Uh, probably, probably not that much. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, you are in China, so you seem you know you seem like a very intriguing guy because you know it's just halfway <laughs> around the world. And by the way, that poo thing got a big laugh back here <laughs> yeah. on the other oh, side good. of the world. Oh, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think, didn't that that used to be the case, right? Like the home brewer at the festival in 2011 with his sour beer, like layers of things. Even though it was layers of crap, it was just considered good because it was a lot of stuff going on but it wasn't good stuff yeah i think that's still something that people are are struggling with especially with homebrew and and just people who 
you know, I'm fortunate in Denver and you guys are fortunate in California about there's a lot of sour beers to try. And so the the consumer education is pretty high. But uh, in other parts of the country where they may only get a few sour beers, it's difficult for people to have the experience to know. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, we're, we're having your beers here. We're obviously Scott and I are very lucky to have a lot of great sour beers. These are, you know, up there right with all the other ones that we have uh, that the the dreamland number one was incredible and this uh this like i said mock limit tempranillo great you know really balanced with the fruit aspect one thing i want to ask you is you know when you i think i think you dropped off the line here again oh i was building up to something amazing (sighs) i could tell it was going to be good (laughs) i'm going to try and get him back again shoot you want to take a break and then try to get him back Uh, or what are we doing what's the plan for the last what are we well, doing? well. Speaking of uh, how far uh, sour homebrew has, or maybe hasn't come, um, mm-hmm. I think we're going to do a little uh, listener homebrew. It's been a, a couple episodes since we did that. Yeah, we should do that. But, but yeah, we got tons of questions to get to as well. A little later, though. Yeah. Well, just before we uh, get into the questions, I want to remind the listeners of our amazing, incredible sponsor, sourbeerblog.com. He brings you the questions. He brings you all the questions on the show, and you know, you should give him a little thank you. And even if you don't, you know, write thank you notes, you're that guy that disappoints your mother every Christmas, every Mother's Day, <laughs> you know, you're that person, at least go on the website, sourbeerblog.com, and read Dr. Lamick's article on fast souring, because you're listening to the show, you want to make a kettle sour beer, you want to know all the techniques. He's got fast souring 1.0 article, which has amazing information, and then he updated it, 2.0. He got a lot of people writing into him, a lot of feedback on that article, and he improved it. He said, here's where people, you know, are seeing some trouble. Here's where I think they should go from here. So it's a great place to start, sourbeerblog.com. All the questions are coming to us and you because of him. Let's go. Yes, for, for all of 2016 uh, as well. I, I talked to the doctor this week. Uh, he took a break from his rounds in the ER and uh, yeah. said that, uh, yeah, he's on board for 2016. Saving, you know, via, half viable pertanomyces from dying. You know, he just yeah. you know gets out the tiny, tiny, what are the pads called? The the paddles? Oh, the defibrillators? So, yeah, he gets some defibrillators, microscopic on those pertanomyces yeast, <laughs> and just gives a little... I need a, uh, uh, I need a beaker <laughs> stat. And I'm trying to think of a good uh, lab tool. Let's keep playing this out because Bevo is a big fan of this whole line of <laughs> I know. comedy. She loves it when oh we improv. Oh, my gosh. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, the question, he brought you the questions. Let's go. Yeah, so James, uh, I think we're going we're gonna to have to have uh, James back on the show. And we're going to have to have him uh, in the studio so we don't have any of this dropping. That would be great. Um, so thanks for joining us, James. And thanks so much, James. We, honestly, even though we had trouble, we had a lot of great information from him, and I think people will take away a lot of the stuff he's doing. You know, because it's he's doing 120 gallons. It's not so different from the homebrew scale. So, you know, I think a lot of his methods, uh, you know, are are going the right way, and his beer is certainly going the right way. So, Hell we yeah. can look forward to more of that. Hopefully. Oh, look at this! He's writing me on Skype. He says uh, he'll be out uh, in uh, Cali March five for the Modern Time Sour Fest, considering going up to the Bay Area. So we, that's we should uh, try and do something with him then. Yeah, just come up. We'll do an impromptu show, and uh, yeah, we'll do it. Yeah. All right. Well, in the meantime, let's come back with questions and possibly some listener sour beer. Yes. Oh yeah. Go to break first. Yeah. All right. Let's do it. We'll be right back on the Sour Hour. Hi, this is Brandon from Drake's Brewing Company here to warn you about the impending apocalypse. This year, we're unleashing our four horsemen on Saturday, January 23rd from 12 to 6 p.m. at Drake's in San Leandro. In addition to the return of Apocalypse Double IPA and Black Label Triple IPA, we're adding the next two riders, Red Label and White Label. In case you thought Apocalypse Day couldn't get any bigger, you thought wrong. We invited more than a dozen of our favorite West Coast breweries to pour hard-to-find double and triple IPAs, including Cellarmaker, Russian River, Boneyard, Beachwood, and many more. Pre-sale tickets are on sale now and start just $25. Black Label is limited to six bottles per person. Go to drinkdrakes.com for more info and brace yourself. The end is beer. Hey, this is Rob from Allagash Brewing. You are listening to the Sour Hour on the Brewing Network. Well done, Rob. Sounded great. There's almost there's like a little skip there. 
Oh, that was me hitting the button twice. I figure everything else is screwed up on this show, so why not just it was perfect pile with on the song? Like, hey, <laughs> hey, hey there! Hey, hey. A little so, Max Headroom. It went right with the beat. It was perfect. Nailed it. Thanks. Fist oh, bump. I got a fist bump. Damn. Boom. Speaking of fist bumps, I'm going to give a huge fist bump to one of our great sponsors, Wine and Hop Shop Doc. Sorry, Wine and <laughs> Every time. <laughs> hey, you know what? Listen, everything's screwed up on the show. Let's just uh, the Wine and Hop Shop. On. You can find them at the internet's website, wineandhop.com. They're carrying two of my favorites, Omega. And Giga Yeast. Yeah. Uh, most items are going to ship within 24 hours. And best of all, BN listeners, which <laughs> if you're listening, that's you, you get a flat $8 <laughs> shipping rate on orders under 50 pounds. Just enter BN shipping in the notes field of the shopping cart, and the discount's going to be taken off magically after you check out. So don't worry about it. Don't email them. Don't trip about that. It's going to be taken It'll off be there. And, after and, checkout. And honestly, even if nothing happened when you did that, you should still let them know we sent you. Yeah, absolutely. You know, just say, hey, thanks for supporting the Sour Hour. Exactly. Go Pack Go. <laughs> and is Aaron Rodgers really marrying Olivia Munn? What's up with that? Bevo had just asked me that right before we went on the air. She was, like, dying to know. It's all over uh, British tabloids, but then Olivia Munn went on her social media to debunk the rumors. Oh, so that's just, unfortunate. It's, it's okay, people. Aaron Rodgers is still available. I don't know who Aaron Rodgers is. <laughs> you know who Olivia Munn is? I do know who Olivia, Olivia Munn's, like, the hottest she nerd is, girl ever. She is, like, ridiculously She beautiful. was on an Aaron, Aaron Sorkin show. Just what, Aaron which Sorkin show? Uh, the Newsroom. Oh. Is she a nerd? What What is yes. nerdish about her? You should watch the newsroom and find out. Oh, she does, like, video game commentary and stuff? Yeah, yeah, whatever. Aaron Rodgers kind of nerd, too. <laughs> Everyone at the Wine and Hop Shop know what I'm talking about. You guys okay. know what I'm talking about. So go visit them, wineandhop.com. All right, here's a question from another Justin. He said, uh, hello there. Hello there. Hi. Uh, many breweries that have stood the test of time have survived because their labs ensure only quality product is going out the door. I can't remember any of the brewers you have spoken with on the Sour Hour discussing the role of a lab in their sour brewery. Do you think there is a place for a lab in a sour brewery? If so, I'm assuming the answer has to be yes. So if so, what is it? Oh, excellent points by uh, this Justin with one or two T's. I didn't get the, the Three in this guy. Three. Actually. More important, Justin. Just. Just oh, that's him. too many T's. Or S's. <laughs> we're killing it. <laughs> I can't tell. You're, Beaver, killing, you're, shake- you're killing me. Really? Oh, I you're thought ki- for sure you were shaking your head at the Adam Sandler movie you're watching. No, that was us? Which is called? Oh, okay. Click. Click. Yeah. <laughs> Bebo muted us, too. Yeah, yeah, I wish I had. I- Bebo is fast-forwarding through this whole show. But, uh, but, yeah, great point. You know, I think uh, labs are critically important when it comes to uh, the craft brewing boom that we're in right now. I think I might have said this on the show before, but I think the most important position in a brewery over the next 10 years is going to be microbiologist by far. I think flavor innovation is going to come from yeast propagation, isolating and testing new yeast cultures uh, out in the wild. So absolutely, I think the lab will play a very important role in sour beer breweries. The only problem is most sour beer breweries are very small because this whole thing is just starting. You know, sour beer is not mainstream. There's only a few brewers in the country who are making sour beer at a volume that's going to support that kind of staff member. Even regular craft breweries that are growing rapidly, they kind of push. It's I, I think this is a fair statement. They push production first and quality second. The, the production staff is a staff focused on quality. It's not a criticism. It's just they need to make enough beer to make enough money to hire the quality right. staff. Yep. So it's not a reflection on the production staff, but it's a reality. You know, it's it's what's happening. People are making beer too fast to invest in actual quality staff. And I think an important distinction there is, you know, a lot of the brewers are the quality staff, but until there's someone who is not beholden and does not answer to the production staff in the quality position, you don't really have a quality staff because push comes to shove. If you have a QC, QA person working at your brewery and they answer to the head brewer instead of whoever the head brewer works for, you know, at the end of the day, it's the head brewer's decision. Oh, you know, this came up positive for, you know, bacteria. Okay, we're going to push it through and release it anyway because we need to. We're, We're production. You have to keep those departments separate so they can 
clash with each other. And it's not, that's another thing, that's another hurdle for brewers to get over is because everything's so familial in a brewery. You know, everyone's going towards the same cause. A true quality person says stop. They're telling you to stop. Production tells you to go. So those two forces work against each other. It's a natural conflict that I think breweries are not used to having a lot, but you look at any big brewery, that's what they have. And there is that conflict. They learn to get over it, and they end up making great beer. So absolutely, I think there's a huge place for a quality person in sour beer, and especially because of the, their background, which could be in microbiology, could help with isolating, fermenting, testing, and propagating new yeast strains, which I think will really pioneer the future of flavor of beer. It really reminds me of the the Numi auto plant uh, here in the Bay Area, which is now used by Tesla, but it used to be a joint venture between General Motors and Toyota. Mm-hmm. Basically, it was it was a General Motors plant, and then uh, Toyota came in and basically they, they basically said, "Hey, we're going to share trade secrets." And if GM effectively learned Toyota's manufacturing process, and it was. It was that opposite push-pull. And you're saying you need both, but it was a real juxtaposition of GM's production line and the whole way the, the labor and, and the management was set up was volume, 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 volume. Mm-hmm. That production line never stops no matter what. And consequently, you had the 1970s General Motors cars rolling off the line with the Chevelle bumper on the Nova and everything just didn't work and it lasted 40,000 miles. Mm-hmm. Toyota's was exactly the opposite. We, they, were, they were the lab. Like, we want uh, quality over quantity. If you if you see a problem on the line, you stop the line. You tell your supervisor. If you have an idea for a way a process can be better, you, you, we'll, we'll stop. We'll sit down. We'll discuss it and look at the, the, the quality difference in the, in the cars that were being produced by those two companies. And when they sort of melded forces, you ended up with a great mix of both. You just cranking cars off the line and look at how the, the bar has risen. Uh, on automobile quality. Absolutely. You need both. And one thing I I am kind of compelled to point out, uh, a hypocrisy after my rant just there, is that we don't have a quality person working at the Rare Barrel. We do exactly what I just said, which is rely on our production staff to be the quality department. We will eventually. I hope that will happen sooner rather than later. But as as a startup, as a growing company, it's very difficult to do. So I'm not immune to that criticism that I just laid on or maybe that commentary is a better word of saying better way of saying it I'm part of that too so you know I I don't separate myself from that we want to get to that point but it's just a reality of the craft beer industry small breweries startup breweries they want to get there it's just it's so hard you know brewing is not a extremely lucrative industry so we have to work over time to invest in quality we're investing in quality already in other places but Eventually, we'll get there, and that'll be a great day. I think someone needs that that role at the BN. We need <laughs> quality to control and quality around here. Yeah, Bevo shakes her head a lot. <laughs> oh, and up and down this time. Okay, nice. there you go. All right, here's a question from uh, John M. John from New Jersey writes in and says, uh, "Hey, Jay and Moscow, love the show. Yada yada yada." I have a question. He wrote that. I, I wasn't just blowing him off. Um, I have a question regarding uh, harvesting bottle dregs and quote killer. Wine yeast. I brewed my second batch of sour beer, and with the help of your show, it tastes amazing. Good work, John. The beer is a sour blonde fermented with a uh, mixed culture created from a diverse mix of bottle dregs. No commercial yeast was used. The culture was uh, slowly gathered over the course of a few months. As I stepped up the starter, feeding it more DME from time to time, I continuously added different dregs. After nearly 20 bottles worth of dregs, uh, finding that uh, the starter tasted amazing and had a thick layer of yeast at the bottom, I brewed my beer with it. Uh, However, after the fact, I found out that some of the bottles that I used were conditioned with wine yeast, some of which was specifically rumored to use the uh, killer strange, uh, like e.g. Uh, Hill Farmstead, Allagash, Russian River. My questions are, is there any way uh, that I can maintain this house culture if it has this killer strain? Ooh. I'll, I'll preface this whole answer with, I don't know, because I've never tried to grow up dregs from a... that included a bottle that I found out had a wine yeast that may kill Britannomyces growth. Um, So that being said, I think it all comes down to flavor, you know, and attenuation. Does it smell good along the way? Is it performing the way you want it to? Because, you know, it's not totally cast in stone that this 
one part of the dregs that, you know, one part of 25% of the dregs that you put in there is going to ruin the whole thing because maybe that yeast isn't viable anymore. You know, maybe there are Britannomyces strains in your mix that are are not killed by the the so-called killer, and I'm doing air quotes. Yeah. For those John not... wrote actual quotes around every time he said killer. Okay, good. <laughs> We're on the same page. Mm-hmm. Um, that I would say, you know, let, let the beer do the talking, but I can't speak to personal experience on this one. And I just got to say on a separate note, it is funny how many people write in and actually say yada, yada, yada. Yeah. And then it does happen. You, you actually love that. You love to point that out. Well, because yes, I, a few I ne- times you're like, you know, oh, and they actually said yada, yada, yada. I'm not blowing them up. I, well, I never <laughs> want people to think that it's like, well, well, you got somewhere to be, Moscow. You can't just read what I wrote. Like, I want people to know that I, I'm, I am reading what they wrote. Yeah. You know. I mean, yeah, I was listening to the session, and, you know, you guys... You're used to the feedback. Everyone loves you. Everyone started a brewery because of you. And the top of the session is like, oh, you know, I started my brewery because of you. And I signed up to be a sergeant in the BN Army. And, you know, nine years ago, there would have been like a mosque built for this person. (laughs) And now it's like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, All right. (laughs) Next story. (laughs) So I got to say, we're going to differentiate ourselves from the other BN Joes, which you should listen to. If only because you can make fun of them with us. Exactly. That's that's our position on the other BN shows. Listen to them. Make fun of them with us. Yeah. And, and the, you can see firsthand what it's like to have shows hosted by jaded people instead of fresh young faces like Jay and like Scott. Like me. Yeah. Just you. Oh, you too? Oh, sorry. <laughs> okay, yeah. yeah. No, I mean, I'm in both no, of us. you're right. I'm on all of those sh- shows. You jerk. Shaz. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're, you, I'm trying to think of uh, jaded is not even the right word for you. It's You're like uh you're jaded. Uh, We're Jaden Smith. Boom. You don't even know that reference. You're so jaded. Are we? Uh, are we modeling? Like Will Smith's fem- kid. Yeah. Are we mo- <laughs> That's what you mean, right? Yeah. Yeah. Isn't he modeling girls' clothing? I now? don't know. Yeah, yeah. No. I don't even know if he's cool. He, you know, you guys know that, right? Some new item just came out about him like a few days ago. No, I didn't. Know yeah, that. yeah. He's he's. I think like uh, not Chanel, but some major women's clothing designer. He is now modeling women's clothing. That's his thing. Yeah, yeah. I can't believe you guys didn't read that. 2016. What a world. <laughs> Surprise. Okay. Uh, let me uh, add the, the last part of uh, John's question here. Did I finish my rant there or no? I don't oh, know. other BN shows. That's what oh, I was going right. to say. Bruce Strong, they were just in here just destroying the sound Borg. Borg. That's, a, that's what I call the machine. <laughs> this is a mess. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. Between the Skype and the phones and drunk? us. No. <laughs> You spinning out on the coffee? I had my mainlining coffee. My uh, black, pro- yeah, I had a lot of coffee. That's probably the problem. Uh, a lot of bro- some black project, great stuff. You know what else is great stuff? Doctor Homebrew, brewing with style, and the session. There you go. Nailed it. Nailed it. Boom. Let's do the last. Po- oh, another air high five from Beef. Man. All right. Here's the uh, last. Po- well, I don't know how much we'll go into it since I know you mentioned. You said you don't have the uh, firsthand experience, but he said uh, even if I needed to add commercial yeast next time I brew with it. Uh, with his built-up whatever, would uh, would the wine yeast cause a serious threat to his sack strains? Mm, that's a good question. I think it's only designed to kill Brett, but don't quote me on that. But then you're also getting all these great advanced microorganisms, uh, lactic acid-producing bacteria. So, you know, I definitely wouldn't go as far as, like, throwing it out or anything because you're still – those should still live, I believe, Um but I don't know enough about wine to know that for sure. And I don't have enough experience growing up dregs. And I think, like I said before, the proof is in the pudding. What does the beer taste like? What does the beer smell like? How's that part going? And if you like the beer, then just keep going with it. All right, yeah, definitely do that, John. Thanks for writing in. And, uh, again, as I keep saying to people, because we want to hear uh, what happens with your beers, especially if you're doing stuff that, yeah, you're experimenting. Let us know, yeah, how did stuff come out and what did Absolutely. you find? And uh, if you're wondering, so are a lot of other people. Yeah, we've gotten to the point where the show has been on the air enough that people who've been listening from the beginning and have been trying what we're talking about, you know, all these beers take six months, a year, a year and a half, two years. Those beers are getting ready now, you know? And, exactly. You know, send them in and we'll try them and we'll, we'll evaluate how things have gone. And that's, I mean, that's what we do in the like amongst the professional sour brewers. So we talk to each other and say, yeah, I tried this. It really didn't work. How do you do it? And then they tell us, and then we move on from there. So we're just a big community and don't, don't be afraid to fail and talk about, you know, how we all failed. That's, that's part of this whole process. But, uh, 
I think we may be, we should taste, we should, you know, put our money where our mouth is, taste some homebrewed sour beer in the next segment. Yes. We'll be right back after a break on the Sour Hour. For nearly 40 years, one organization has had your back. The American Homebrewers Association. Are you a member? Why not? Join the more than 40,000 brewers who enjoy all the American Homebrewers Association has to offer. Like Zymergy Magazine, in print and online, plus the Zymergy app. Zymergy is the leading publication for amateur brewers around the world. Supporters also get member deals at their local breweries, bars, and homebrew shops. These alone quickly pay for your membership. You'll also get great member-only resources at homebrewersassociation.org and access to AHA events like the National Homebrewers Conference and the National Homebrew Competition. The American Homebrewers Association promotes the hobby of homebrewing, protects the interests of homebrewers, and brings beer lovers together become a member today it costs less than a batch of beer and gives back so much more visit homebrewersassociation.org Great couple episodes of the Sour Hour. Well, I don't know if great, great is the adjective I would use. You know, the only thing I would change, a little less Bevo, that's all. <laughs> I would just not say great. I would just say a couple episodes, couple episodes for you. in the can. Couple, uh, couple of hours. They couple, have some, sour. some stuff happened. They certainly happened. That yeah. much we know. Yeah, but we're going we're gonna to recover right now because we have, I mean, I just walked in. We have three beers poured in front of us. We've had a lot of sour beer tonight now, which is awesome. But uh, what's going on here, Scott? Can you well, explain? Yeah, I think this is... I'm wondering if we're having more Skype issues here, but this is more beer from uh, the Yeast Geek, who sent in beers, got to be like a year ago. Hey, are you Excellent. there, Yeast Geek? Yeah, I'm here. Oh, good. Oh, good, man. It's just your... I guess I'm used to the white noise from the uh, connection from China, but you sound like a million bucks. <laughs> so describe what we have here. We had uh, some uh, unlabeled brown bottles. We got one, two, and three on the bottle caps. Uh, yeah, I, I was uh, on the show back on show five with uh, Tim from Sante. Man, can you believe it's been over a year already, Jay? That well, was that, a year that and is change. Insane. We were just talking about that. Yeah. Yeah, well, we, we have great memories of your beer, so uh, tell us what's going on with these uh, new ones here. Yeah, so originally I sent in uh, two bottles. It was from my uh, Dark Sour Solera. I sent the first pull from six months and the second pull from about a year. And this time I sent in the third pull as well. So you have the first, the second, and the third pull from the barrel. Oh, okay. And I figured uh, sending in, uh, you know, as it progresses, and that might be a cool thing for people to listen to uh, Solera as it progresses through every, you know, six months or a year or so. So well, that explains the, the subtle differences. Right. So just to be clear, your, your first one is actually the, the oldest, and then you added some beer or wort to number two, and then you did it again for number three? Correct, yes. So how how do you perceive the differences between one, two, and three? Um, well, I have them here in front of me. Um, Excellent. This is a, a live tasting. Yeah. So let me uh, taste through the first one here real quick. I haven't tasted it in a while. It's actually my last bottle of number one. So Yeah, I should oh, say, wow. while you're tasting yeast cake, I, um, these are, geez, I mean, I think we might have got these in June, July. It, it's been a while. They've been in the cold box here at the, uh, at the grenade. And these have been, uh, in, number one has been in uh, bottles this whole time? Yeah, so number one now, if I remember correctly, has been in the bottle for about 18 months, and it was six months old when it was bottled, so uh, about two years. Wow, it's pretty incredible. And what are your impressions of how it's holding up? Um, I think number one's holding up really well. To me, it's, uh, of the three, uh, my favorite, mm-hmm. and I'm kind of sad that it's my last bottle. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're sorry we forced you into this, dude. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> To send us some and also do the live tasting, but we're uh, we're also privileged to have it because I I really like it too. I think it's holding up very well. It's quite it's uh, quite tart, but you know not anything too crazy, and it's got kind of the most aromatic complexity to me. I don't know, Scott. How do I you, agree. How yeah, do you, feel? It, you know what it reminds me of is uh, Lawrence beer. It reminds me of New Belgium sour beer. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. So uh, walk us through how you went from number one to number two. What what were the steps there, and how? How did this beer become different from number one? Okay, yeah, there were a, a few different things. So it went into, um, actually, I'll go with the malt bill first. It's 
five pounds uh, pills, five pounds golden promise, uh, four and a half pounds of white wheat, and then one and a half pounds of midnight wheat. Um, some aged hops, and then uh, used a uh, Erlenmeyer flask and collected some dregs from some of my favorite sour beers. So I think there's some, I don't think there's any rare barrel in there, but there's some uh, Cantillon, some Jester King, uh, a few things locally here from Portland, and uh, basically tasted through probably 10 or 12 beers with a bunch of friends and picked the best and threw those dregs in a, uh, a flask and grew them up a little bit with some wort and that's what the uh, the culture is. You notice the rare barrel wasn't in the uh, the best. The best, the yeah. I knew I didn't like <laughs> well, it for a reason. Well, no, <laughs> just joking. <laughs> have you used uh, rare barrel yeast on any other beers you've done? Um, I have not yet. I do have a couple bottles that I've been saving. So uh, I have two new barrels I've just started, or one I just started and one I'm about to start. So uh, I'm sure some rare barrel will make it in there. Nice. Well, I think two is, uh, is very good as well. And I think actually of the three... I, I think I would vote for number two being my favorite. Um, nothing, you know, disparaging from the other ones, but nice balanced uh, body. You get, you definitely get some malt in there. Not too sour, but some nice acidity and drinkability. Very good. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm pulling back from the mic to look at these beers, but it seems like the uh, the clarity is very good in our glasses. Maybe it's just the glasses, but. We're getting some head retention differences, and it seems like number two has a little better head retention than the other ones for me. But now I'm looking at Scott's, and maybe that's not the case. But, uh, yeah, I really like number two. You, you know what I get a little bit from number two is um, is Fernet character. Mm. No sweetness or anything, but just I don't know if what uh, spice that is or, or something. Or well, if it's did, just my palate. He did say he's living in Portland, so, you know. <laughs> just seeped in there. <laughs> it just gets in from the air up there. Yeah. I don't know if you guys remember, but uh, a year ago, both number one and number two had a little uh, diacetyl uh, on the finish, mm-hmm. and it seems to be gone now, at least to me. I don't know if you guys are still picking that up. Yeah, it's it's, it's really interesting you brought that up. I, I think it's totally gone. I I find myself to be quite sensitive to diacetyl, although, you know, uh, it's not been proven through rigorous testing or anything but um i feel like i can find it in my beers when i am critical of them uh number three to me actually does have a touch of it yeah yeah right on the finish yeah i would say um but not a lot so you know when when i feel like i get um not a lot of diacetyl in a beer but i can kind of tell it's there then i i think to myself well this is a very very low amount and there's pretty much no doubt it's going to clean up over time. Yeah, and actually, to me, like I typically am um, not very sensitive to diacetyl, but and I, and I typically when I do taste it, I really don't like it. But a year ago, when I tasted it in these beers on the finish, it actually was kind of pleasant to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, some styles call for low levels of diacetyl. Some styles of beer. Um, so, and we got in a whole talk with James about you know thinking about what funk means and you know people you know coupling off flavors with funk but this to me is a little bit different where it's like if it's a touch of diastole if it's a just like a mouthfeel thing and it's very very slight especially in a dark beer like this which has some body to it and you can get some kind of caramel notes out of it's not as offensive as if you find it in like a a saison or right. something that you know there's nothing for it to kind of mesh with right. or hide behind so it's it's definitely nothing offensive um but but present for for certain so when you're going through this solera method what's your what's your strategy for managing the drift and learning from what you've seen through beers one through three well on this um this is my first solera so it's kind of all every you know each each step is kind of new because uh, my oldest also. Um, but what I did was, so after the, the first um, pull, it was an eight-gallon barrel. I pulled three gallons out of it. And actually, on the second one, I replaced it with, um, I did an extract beer for that one. So it was just like eight pounds of wheat DME and then one and a half pounds of midnight wheat. Um, so I didn't replace it with an all-grain um, you know, wort. And I just fermented that out with uh, USO5. And... You know, after those two, when we tasted those last year with the diastole, uh, my plan was to, on the next one, you know, uh, brew a beer and with some Brett to hopefully clean that up faster. That didn't happen with the third pull, though, but it is going to happen with the next pull, which is coming up here in a, in a week or so. Awesome. Is there a, a small human or animal in the background? Uh, there is a seven-month-old uh, 
a little girl, my, my new daughter. Wow. Congrats. That's good, Jay. Picking yeah, that up. Man, that. I don't even think I heard that. Pretty noisy for seven months. <laughs> Pipe down. <laughs> she must have gotten the beer stock. Oh, yeah. She, she loves it. Look at this. We're, we're drinking beer older than, than uh, Yeast Geek's kids. Yeah, think about that. Well, I hope you can keep up the Solera, you know, even though you're, it sounds like you're about to get a lot, a lot busier over the next uh, couple of years. So uh, thanks again for sending us the beer, Yeast Geek, and uh, hopefully we stay in touch and we continue to have these awesome flights. Yeah, definitely send us more, and I promise you I will not uh, take as long to get to it next time. Definitely, and like I said, I have, I have two new uh, Soleras, so I might do some blending or, or something, but we'll, we'll talk about it offline and figure out what's best to send next time. Hell yeah, sounds good, dude. Thanks again for sending that stuff in. Yeah, good luck with the little one. Great beers, you know. We yeah. Have, and, and you know what I like about uh, Yeast Geek is that very self-critical and, you know, talking about the beers in, in a way that makes sense. You know, he, he approaches it like a lot of pro brewers do, where you're looking at the beers and saying, what's wrong with this first? How do I make it better first? That's why a lot of pro brewers don't like drinking their own beer, because it's like work, basically. Right. So I like his approach, and I like his beers even more. They're getting even better. It's great. Agreed. Yeah, that's a tough skill, palate objectivity. Absolutely. Well, I want to thank Yeast Geek and uh, James from Former Future and Black Project. We have to get them back because uh, that connection was a little bit to manage. But uh, Yeah, we'd like to not thank the government of China. Yeah, and uh, shout out to Scott for, you know, just managing that whole thing and, you know, that you were you were a producer today. Uh, was I? I don't know show. what I produced other than a bunch of shitty Skype calls, but thank you. Well, better, better than Bevo, streaming movies and interrupting Yeah, we Skype. would like to not thank Bevo as well. And that looks I'd means we're better. done. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you guys for listening. Uh, we'll be back next time in about mm, a month from now. Yeah, something like that. Something. And uh, in the meantime, yeah. we're going to see if we can um, drink all the beer over the uh, over beer week. Let's do it. Yeah, at we'll the s- Rare Barrel. We'll see you guys next time on the Sour Hour.